Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. And welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Robin Williams, podcast host at Innovate IPM. How you doing today, Robin? Man, I'm doing great, Justin. How are you? I'm doing excellent. It's another beautiful Friday here in Houston, Texas. The weather couldn't be any nicer. And yeah, had a solid week for the listeners out there. This is going to be released quite a bit after. We had NAPE this week. We had the FRAT conference. So a lot of exciting stuff going on in the oil and gas industry. And I was actually going to try to get to NAPE, but I ended up getting the stomach bug and I'm better now, but a lot of my exciting plans that I had to go partying and networking kind of got squashed. So I was a little bit bitter about that, but God works in mysterious ways. So maybe it's probably a better thing that I didn't go out and party the nights away. Yeah, especially not with a stomach bug. Yeah, I didn't need to be doing anything around other people and and get them sick. So (laughs) I figured I was best at home in my own bed and trying to get better, which I'm 100% back in action now. So Pretty happy about that. Before we get going, I just want to take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor. Take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. I've had a lot of folks on LinkedIn hit me up, whether to share a story, just ask to meet for coffee, or even say, hey, I've got a good story. I'd love to come on the podcast. I can't get everybody on, but I try and do my best. You know, If there's value to be created and good conversation around certain topics, I certainly love to have everybody on. But I'm getting the backlog is is certainly growing. So like I said, I do my best to try and get everyone on that I can. And, you know, we make it happen one way or another. So Robin, you literally just mentioned that you're anti-technology. So I had a bunch of other questions and topics, but I'm really interested in hearing about that because right now technology (laughs) is ruling the world. So what do you mean by your anti-technology? Yeah, yeah, that's probably strong language. And it's kind of ironic because a lot of what we talk about on, on our show and what we deal with in the innovative IPM community is emerging technology. That's kind of where we're at mm-hmm. on a personal level. Yeah, I'm really anti-distraction more than anything. That's probably the more accurate way to put it. What that means to me is I leave my phone on airplane mode a lot okay. like throughout the day. So are you able to do that with your day-to-day? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think I think a lot more people are able to do that than believe so, right? I think okay. a lot of people think they can't do it. I mean, obviously you're sales, right? So that's-, that's Sales and operations. So yeah. Probably a no-go for you. Unless all my customers committed to that, yeah. it would be impossible. Yeah. But- I will tell you, I had a friend who's in real estate. What he does is he does something similar and he will check back onto his phone about every 45 minutes. So- he goes to his phone and I do the same thing, right? I come to my phone. I don't let my phone come to me. Okay. I go to my email, right? I don't have any notifications on, on my phone, not social media, not email or anything else. Okay. I go to it. Right. And I go to it whenever it's convenient for me. Yes. And then I respond to whoever, you know, whoever has urgent needs at that time. And, and it works out. So you fine. control te- the technology. You don't let technology control you. Exactly. So 
why and how did you all of a sudden become or how did you be, have that awareness to realize like this is going to create whether it was a goal to be more efficient to be less distracted like at what point did you say okay enough is enough yeah i mean a lot of it's productivity driven if you read the book by cal newport called deep work he okay. goes into a lot of this kind of stuff so Perfect. i'm probably drawing on some of that the other thing is just stress levels okay so i do a lot of things right i do the podcast i'm running the training center that we're we're building now i'm doing consulting mm -hmm. i've got a day job i've got three kids at the house oh, right buddy. i've got property to take care of i own rental properties on top of my personal property so wow the amount of activity that's going on in my life is so high it's very stressful and so if you're dealing with you're spinning 10 plates at a time right mm -hmm. one for each finger here and you get a buzz on your phone every three minutes and a ring and somebody's emailing you and it can overwhelm you to the point of just insanity. So yeah. I decided to back off of that completely and take control of it. So what does that routine look like for you? Or you said, was it you, you go to it every 45 minutes or you said someone that you know? Or what does that look like on like an average, you know, say afternoon? Or how do you manage that? And when do you actually go to your phone? Yeah, I go to my phone about every hour and a half. That's, that's okay. sort of my MO, right? So unless I need to go to my phone for something else. If there's no reason for me to go to it, it's kind of on every hour and a half. There's no strict schedule or anything like that, but I do try to give myself a good solid 90 minutes mm. where I can get things done, right? Without distraction, then go check, right? Okay. So, and I actually, that really is attractive to me, but I feel like if I went an hour, an hour and a half, it would probably take me 45 minutes to catch up on that hour and a half to where I, all I'd feel like is I caught up put it on airplane mode, went back to it, caught up. Like, does that ever happen? <laughs> sort of, sort of sometimes. A lot of times, you know, I don't get in a hurry because of other people's priorities. Mm -hmm. and, and what I'm saying is not that I'm neglecting them. I will get to them in an appropriate amount of time, but I, I certainly, I'm never in response mode, right? Gotcha. I try to stay out of that as much as possible. I try to be as proactive as possible. And a lot of people, and if you think about the importance of this, right, you think about your job or whatever your livelihood is or whatever it is you're putting your time and energy into, mm -hmm. if that's important to you, you probably shouldn't let other people take away from that, right? Whether that's your day job mm -hmm. or that's your side hustle or whatever it happens to be, mm -hmm. if it's important enough for you to commit time to it, you should commit 100% time to it. And don't let other people's emergencies and distractions distract from it. Yeah, that's a great point of advice. And I think a lot of people are becoming more aware of, of being able to do that because you hear a lot of times like, you know, technology fasting and like there's even apps to get you off of your phone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think the pendulum is slowly starting to sway the other way, which is good because yeah. it, there needs to be a balance. And, you know, certainly I think folks are taking priorities and trying to make sure that life isn't full of you know, dings and red badges and trying to be constantly responding. And, yeah. you know, it's like an email and it's like someone said the other day, email is not instant messaging. Correct. Like if anyone emails you and expects a response right away, then that's a toxic way of thinking about it. And, and it made me think of it and it's just kind of changed my, you know, perspective on it. And so when I get an email, like it used to be where anything I'd get right away, I felt like I would have to respond because I didn't want things to, you know, be drag on or accumulate. But it's just about managing it and, and understanding what's the priority at that time. So I guess that's probably part of the reason why you wrote the article on LinkedIn, focus on work, cutting through the chaos. 
Did you write it kind of with all that in mind? I did. And if you read the article, there's actually, I wrote out all the steps that it took for me to get the article done. I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it looks pretty extreme. Now, I probably, in all fairness, probably suffer from a little adult ADD. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And definitely with all the different things going on in my life, it doesn't help that. So maybe not everybody needs to go to that extreme. And back to your point about it may take you that much time to recover from, you know, in between communications, everybody's different, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe 45 minutes or an hour and a half is too long for you, but maybe sure. 20 minutes works for you, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the cutting through chaos, it, it kind of gets into that a little bit. It talks about yeah. the, the Pomodoro technique and stuff like that. These are all little tricks and tools that you can use. Work 25 minutes, take a five minute break. Work 25 minutes, take a five minute break. And that could be where you check back in and yeah. see what everybody's doing. But Perfect. Well, for all the listeners out there, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's a nice short to the point read. So I encourage everyone to check it out. So you kind of brushed through a little bit about who you are and what you do. You're a podcaster by night, project cost estimator by day realtor, father, husband, you name it. There's obviously tons of direction we could go in, but let's talk about the podcast. What's it called? What is it focused on? And how are you bringing value to the ecosystem? Yeah, great question. So it's called Innovate IPM. IPM stands for Industrial Project Management. We focus on what we call the future of people, practices, and technologies. So what we're recognizing is, is that in the next year to three years to five years, there's big changes that are coming down the way, right? A lot of that's technological and and you hear people talk about that already. You talk about big data, you talk about AI, you talk about robotics in the Mm -hmm. construction field, but it's not just about technology. And while that's a very important part of what we do, we also talk about the people aspect. How is cultures changing in the workplace? Right. How are businesses changing and adapting? If you look at a lot of the stalwart companies that sort of led the way through the 70s, 80s and 90s, a lot of them are having a lot of difficulty right now because the business environment is changing so much. Mm-hmm. So how does the individual and the small business person, how do they prepare themselves for these changes that are coming down the way? Not to mention the practices part, which my background is entirely in projects, right? Yeah. So we're, we build things and the statistics on projects are just God awful, right? If you look at any of the IPA statistics or especially mega projects fail 70% of the time on cost. Hmm. They fail like 90 plus percent when okay. you when you add schedule to cost. Yeah. So we don't do a good job globally in terms of, of mega projects and, and completing them with the, within the objectives. So there's changes in practices happening too. You see things like advanced work package systems and different types of platforms coming out to guide project management and, and make things better. So it's it's good and it's happening. But what does the regular person and the small business person do to adapt to it? And that's what we like to touch on on the podcast. Very cool. So why did you even get into that space, knowing how busy you are adding that to your you know, list of things to do on a daily or weekly basis? Like, So what was the drive behind even getting into it? Yeah, I think a part of it is self-discovery and what I've discovered. So we've been doing the podcast since last May. Okay. And this was kind of a birth this way out of a technical speaking event that I did for, for Aspen Tech Okay. Year. And a lot of these other things that I'm doing, I started them and, and discovered that I wasn't all that into it. I didn't like it that much. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it was a way for me to get out of the industry because I've always hated the industry that I've been in. Okay. You know? I've never really liked construction. Kind of got into it because out of necessity. Right? Okay. Went in straight out of high school, got married young, had a kid young, and just trucked along because that's what paid the bills. Sure. 
So in my attempts to divert from the industry completely, I started dabbling in real estate, did okay, made some money. I've got some properties, hate it, right? <laughs> it's not for me. You said I was a real estate, a realtor. I'm not a realtor. I actually was a realtor and I gave my license up last week because I okay. just it's just not for me. Right? Yeah. A lot of people do well with it and you know, kudos to them. I did it for about three years and as a side hustle and picking up my own properties and didn't like it. Okay. What I discovered about myself in the process though, and this is what the beauty of all these kinds of things, you know, just get out and this is, this was part of the podcast I recorded this or published this morning is taking mm. big actions mm. is that self-discovery part. If you go out and you take the actions, good things are going to happen to you. They're going to come your way eventually. Right. If you don't do anything, nothing will happen. Right. For sure. So, so even if you take the risk and you go do things that maybe, that maybe they don't pan out the way you want them to like that for me. What I discovered in the process is like, hey, man, I got 20 years worth of construction and engineering experience here that I'm not even trying to leverage. Mm -hmm. What is it about that that actually interests me? Right. So right. I had to think of, I had to go through this exercise in my mind. It's like may, maybe there are things that I did like about it. There were times I enjoyed my job. Mm -hmm. What was it about those times that I enjoyed? So I kind of distilled all that together and packaged it up into Innovate IPM. And it was all about that. It was about innovation. It was about making changes within organizations. Yep. It was about growth and career. I'm non-degreed, right? And I've made my way from being a pipe fitter, helper, really a laborer. This was my first job with an orange vest and a boat horn sitting on a bucket looking for, you know, flames coming out of a hooch somewhere. Yeah. All the way up into middle management for, for one of the fastest growing engineering firms in Houston. Wow. And even beyond middle management, I was part of the leadership development team. For that company and we made decisions about how that company operated gotcha so i got a front row seat to the executive level suite of that that company and it taught me a lot about business and and then i decided i didn't like that hmm. right so there was things i enjoyed about it and then i said to myself you know what this is too much I hit like 90 hour work weeks Jeez. and you know my wife and kids are at home and they weren't seeing me anymore so i went back to taking on a production role which is where i'm at now Right. Now I'm working 40 hours a week in my day job. Right. Mm -hmm. Nice. And, and being the nature of person that I am, I got to go find something to do now to fill all this space with. And, and here we are now. And yeah. so now I'm just, you know, our goal is to help other guide other people through that process and say, mm -hmm. here, let's help you discover what it is, the place that you fit into, into this world. Yeah. And Innovate IPM, we don't really narrow ourselves down to a specific industry, right? Okay. But we do narrow ourselves down to engineering and construction. Gotcha. So it's project-based. The types of people in the projects that we relate to the most are in engineering and in construction. But that doesn't mean it has to be oil and gas. It doesn't mean it has to be. It could be infrastructure, right? It could mm -hmm. be aerospace. It could be commercial, right? right? So we leave the door open for that. Yeah, no kidding. And that's certainly fascinating. And it's you know, that's the glory about podcasting. No one's ever, you know, set the rules or painted the lines that people have to stay in. And so, you know, every podcast is so different. Obviously, you have different categories, but certainly interesting. And, and one that I haven't really come across similar to yours. So I definitely need to listen to more of them. And I encourage the listeners, you know, I'll put the link in the show notes, check it out. I'm sure there's a lot of valuable information out there for the listeners. For you, what's been the biggest ROI since starting the podcast? For you, is it more helping others or what have you noticed in starting it that really makes you feel fulfilled or what's the most gratifying? Yeah, I think the thing that makes me feel the best, it gives me the purpose to keep going, right? Is, mm -hmm. is when people reach out to me and just say, hey, listen to that. I love 
this idea or I love the way that that guest of yours stated this thing and it's changed my viewpoint about yeah. about something, right? Be about my career, where my business is headed. Yeah. That's probably the number one thing. And then the other thing is the guests themselves. Like the guests have been really awesome. I've been fortunate and had some guests who are very important in the industry. And then I've, I've brought people from the trenches, right? And every one of them have been totally awesome and, and, and yeah. making those connections and building that network out. I mean, it's really becoming a bit of a tribe. And, and once they come on the show, man, we're friends yeah. and we stay friends. So yeah, no, I can totally identify with you there. It's, yeah. it's interesting just how many people you get on and just being able to have conversations around topics that otherwise you'd never have, at least for myself. I mean, I'm stuck in the drilling world for 95% of my time and and having folks come in from either finance, you know, completions, technology, geology, just reminds me of how much is it actually going on outside of drilling holes in the ground, right. which is very humbling. You know, get stuck in a bubble and then you get popped and you realize, holy cow, there's a whole <laughs> new world out there too. Which, you know, for me, I enjoy that part of it too. And, and same with the folks listening, because, you know, if you got a rig hand, you know, whether it's drilling or completions, whatever, doing the same thing every single day, I've had a lot of folks reach out and be like, wow, I didn't realize how much other opportunities there are out there for folks like myself. Cause you know, you get to hear people's history and how they, you know, were, you know, their career development started here and then ended up there. And it gives people hope and it's people that they can feel it and identify with it and be like, wow, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And so I really love that part of it is motivating people and just giving people that sense of hope to say, you know, if I have a goal, you know, they came from a similar either environment or work scenario or, you know, country or whatever. It's like, yeah. you know, it, it allows people to be able to touch on that and feel like, okay, I can do this. So and I'm sure that's similar to you too. No, that's awesome. And if I can chime in on that. Yeah, I, most definitely. You know, one of the things that when I speak to people who are, who are non-degreed, right, we kind of have a kindred spirit here. Yeah. I try to let them know. It's like, look, I'm at the point in my career now where I can almost do anything I want. There's some things that that are just required to have a degree. Yeah. Right. But if I want to go start up a business doing anything I want, I can pretty much do that. Yeah. And I am. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm starting the business that I want. Cool. But even within the organization, every time that I thought I'd hit the plateau, every time I told myself, well, I guess I'm not going any higher because I don't have a degree. I was wrong. Hmm. And fortunately, somebody saw past, you know, my own stupidity and said, hey, no, 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 you need to come up here with us because you've got the skill set we need. You've got the attitude we want, mm -hmm. right? Come up with us. So don't let it, don't ever let your self limitations keep you back. Just yeah. because you don't have a degree doesn't mean, you know, I've been on the engineering side for about 15 years now. And the first time I took an engineering job, they threw me in a process engineering department at an owner organization I was completely unqualified for. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Didn't even try to not take the job. Yeah. I told the guy that you know, it was a contract job. And I told the guy that owned the contracting company, I was like, I don't think I want this job. I'm like, I'm a junior level scheduler from the field at best. Mm -hmm. I'm not a project manager. I'm just not there yet. I'm certainly not an engineer. Yeah. And he sort of, you know, he gave me a spill and, and convinced me to go do the interview. I did the interview. The first job they gave me was to figure out how to clarify a product that they were going to lose a $300 million contract on if they couldn't get it, the spec right. Wow. I'm serious, man. I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking about this because it freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. I finally went to my boss and he was a degree engineer and I said, hey, man, you guys have me doing the wrong stuff. Like, I have no idea what a Jason turbidity unit is. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't ask me, you know, don't get me involved. I said, what do we want me to do? He said, call the vendor. 
Yeah. <laughs> I ended up staying at that place for like four and a half years. No kidding. And all I did was call vendors. <laughs> wow. Hey, that's that works. <laughs> that it's kind of all my point is it's kind of amazing. You yeah. Know, where you can find yourself, even without a degree. I always tell people, you know, always apply for the jobs you're unqualified for because you never know until yeah. you try. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Including myself, but I haven't actually applied for jobs in a long time, but I've always tried to shoot for the stars and it usually ends up being okay. If you were to rewind time, would you consider going back to school or is that something? I mean, I'm sure you're, you're the type of person that I, I think is quite self-aware and confident in your abilities that you don't live in regret. But just in hindsight, like say you've got a young listener out there who's working, making decent money, thinks they've got a pretty solid career ahead of them. Is school a viable option now or what do you think? Yeah, I think sometimes, right? Probably more times than not even. If you can do it, right? If you can afford it and take something that means something to you. Don't just take it because that's the thing that's going to pay you the highest when you're done, right? For sure. I think that's the first mistake everybody makes. And then yeah. they find themselves in a job they hate <laughs> and, and $100,000 of debt to go with it. But if I was to go back in time, for me personally, I would go back and, and probably take a construction science degree. I think that would have probably shaved off 10 years of my career. It would have sped up my career by 10 years. Gotcha. And I'd be in a different place now. Makes sense. But like you said, and, and 100% agree with this, I really don't have any regrets. Yeah. Everything that I've done up to this point has led to where I am right now. And I'm perfectly happy with that. Most definitely. Let's kind of go back to the podcasting side of it. What would be the biggest recommendation for people that are considering getting into podcasting? Yeah. Yeah. So first thing is don't overdo the gear right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you had this problem, but I bought a lot of gear. I bought what I thought I needed and it's yeah. worked out. So yeah. I don't know. So I actually have a studio and it's a funny story about the studio. I don't have the studio because I wanted the studio. I rented the studio in an office building. It's kind of, it's not a co-working space like this, but mm -hmm. it's kind of a hybrid thing. And in order to have access to the event spaces, which is a big part of what we're doing is the events, I had to rent an office there. So the office was fairly inexpensive, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, what the hell? I'll build a studio here while we're while we're camping out in this office. So I got enough room for for a bunch of gear and all that kind of stuff. And what I found is really all you need is a mic that plugs into a computer. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of times I get on Zoom calls, a lot of a lot of my guests are on the other side of the world or whatever. So yeah. We'll plug into I won't even use any of the gear I bought. So that's number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Yeah. Perfect. No, it's uh <laughs> you know what's funny because I've had a lot of people reach out and they say you know, oh, I want to get into podcasting. Like, what do I need? And and quite honestly, if you've got an, any type of phone, a smartphone, which almost everybody yeah. has, you can yeah. download Anchor, which is now like- That's what a, I use. You use Anchor. Yeah. Okay, so point made. Yeah, you don't need a fancy microphone with a fancy headset and a fancy recorder. It can be done as simply, you can download free editing software. Audacity is one that I used to use when I didn't outsource a lot of my stuff. Let's talk a little bit about that. You do a lot of your own editing, don't you? I do all my own editing. Jesus. Um, yeah. I'm making some corrections now because it's, it's gotten to be pretty crazy. It takes me about three hours of post editing to do an hour long podcast. Yeah. Partially because I'm not an audio engineer. Sure. But I'm learning a lot and that's cool. And that's um, the thing. I think, and just to not to interrupt, but yeah. I find in anything, if you know enough about everything that you're involved with, then you can identify what's someone who's doing it well or who isn't doing it. It's about building a team. And so like for yourself, if you've done the audio editing and you hired, then hire someone, then you'll understand it. Okay. Am I paying for what I'm getting? Cause right. if you're getting shitty quality and you've never done it yourself, you may think it's great quality, sure. but if, you're like, if I can do it and then I, you know, spend X amount of dollars and I'm getting this, you know, this back and it's not quite up to par, then at least you have an idea. So I think for anyone out there who's considering it, 
don't outsource everything right away. Go through the mud, do yeah. it yourself for a little bit, understand the ins and outs, and then, and then go ahead and outsource it. And then at least you understand what goes into it. And then you know someone's you know trying to jib you off. They charge you 50 or 100 bucks an episode because a podcast where it's just audio like this and not music, and maybe you got to throw an intro and outro on it, it's really not that hard. It's just a little right. bit, it's time consuming. And I think now a lot of people, like whereas when I did it, I listened to the whole episode. I took out like little words and made sure it was like perfect. Well, most editors that you outsource it don't do that. They yep. look at the yep. audio, they equalize it, they throw on a couple things. It probably takes them 20 minutes. Yep. Like people that do this <laughs> regularly. And so, yeah, just know what you're getting and understand what goes into it because it's not as complex as what most people yeah, think. Yeah. yeah. And that's my problem, right? I'm overcomplicating it. I'm trying to take out the uhs and the, you know, the breathing. And, and, and then you listen to some, some podcasts and, and they're really well-liked podcasts. I listen to some great podcasts. Yeah. And yeah they, don't, they don't sound... And nearly some, as good as I'm trying to make mine. So. Yeah. And sometimes the authenticity of you hearing whether it's, you know, the phone or a cough or a coffee cup hitting the desk. I mean, that's what makes people feel like they're part of the conversation. Yeah. So I don't worry about that. Yeah, shit. I don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've finally gotten there. Yeah, yeah good, good. <laughs> well, let's talk more career. Tell us about your current role and how that ties into, you know, what, you know, it's sort of like the bigger picture of what you're doing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So my current role, I'm not going to mention the company's name because they're... Yeah, fair enough. No, a lot of people don't. Yeah, I'm a lead cost estimator at a very large refinery. Some of our projects are in the billions of dollars. Our smallest projects are, you know, millions. That's what we consider small cap. Mm -hmm. We have hundreds of estimates that come through our office. Half of all the estimators that work for our corporation, which we have 16 sites, all work in the same place I do, same yeah. refinery. It's interesting, right? So being a cost estimator on the front end, and this is front end estimating, by the way, to be clear, this is not construction estimating. Now, construction estimating is where I started and front end estimating is where I'm at. What front end estimating means is that we're developing budgets for projects that may or may not happen. Oh, wow. Right. So what we're essentially doing is we've got to give them a number based on very limited information, sometimes almost no information, right? We have to give them a number of what it's gonna to cost to build a project. And so we say, well, we, if we build this thing over here, we know that we can earn, we can increase our revenues by 10% or something, okay? So I was like, okay, well, what does that thing look like, right? If you were gonna build a house and you're like, well, I want, a, I want a three bedroom, two bath, two car garage house, but I don't know what kind of roof I want on it. I don't know if I want a slab or I don't want a brick. So we, we kind of yeah. got to work through these exercises where we say, well, what does it might look like? Mm -hmm. You get to the end and you say, well, you know, every three car, you know, most three car or rather three bedroom, three car garage houses, you're going to have 13 doors, right? So we kind of have these little metrics that we use, these little tricks that 13 interior doors and, and this many windows. We have these little metrics that we use to sort of make sense of it all. Yeah. Once we come up with that number and there's different, there, we go through what they call a stage and gate process, you know, at the FEL zero, which is what we call conceptual, right? That means we know almost nothing. Like we just kind of know there's a problem to be solved and here's how we might solve it. We put together an estimate based on that. The project manager will take that number to his management team. They either give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a back to the drawing board. Upon a thumbs up, we go into a whole new level of project development. So now we're going to start to talk about, well, we think that roof's composite now, mm -hmm. right? We think that two-car garage is two doors and not one door, right? So we start to dial in the scope. And we go through that process till we get to where we figure we're about plus or minus 10%. And this is before the first construction package is created. Mm. 
at that point, an owner organization will decide. And sometimes it's not an owner organization. Sometimes it's a hedge fund. So I've done some of those jobs too, but they'll decide on whether or not this is a worthy investment. They'll look at the ROI. They'll say, well, we think it's going to cost this much to build it. We think we're going to make this much in revenue, squish the numbers together and here's an ROI. And then they usually have some sort of threshold they have to cross in order to approve or disapprove that project. So that's kind of the world I live in wow. on a day-to-day basis. It's a cool job. It's actually a very boring job, but there's some cool things about it, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just numbers, right? Yeah. But the cool things about it are, you know, you do have the creativity to sort of figure out. You really have to have a vision of what mm. things might look like. Right. You know, when I was a construction estimator on a construction for a construction contractor, we would never do an estimate that didn't have piping isometrics and steel drawings and takeoffs right right? we we had to have those things that's a very rigid form of estimating we're just counting things right and applying our metrics to that in this case we're actually having to visualize what this thing that doesn't even it's barely an idea yet yeah we're having to all visualize it and the team has to come together and figure out what it's going to take to get it done so that's interesting the other interesting part is I work with a lot of young engineers. So they come straight out of college. A lot of them intern for the company that I work for. Mm -hmm. Then they come to work for the company later on. I really enjoy working with them because they're ripping and ready to go. You know, they got their college degree now and and they're trying to figure out how the real world works. Yeah. So it's fun to mentor them. I bet. Yeah. I have a very good time just like explaining processes like the ones I'm explaining right now. So would you say that you like your job more from a leadership and mentorship standpoint, or do you like the actual conceptual part of it? Leadership, mentorship, hands down. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. I think a lot of people, and a lot of times now, and again, I speak through my experience because I'm in the drilling world, but a lot of folks typically, if they're good at their job, they've got a lot of knowledge and wisdom to share. They're oftentimes hesitant to share that because they feel threatened. Has that ever bothered you? Not at all. I would say that that's probably not a typical response you get from somebody who does what I do though, right? So like most project controls, well, I'm not gonna say most, but in my experience, people who do what I do tend to be older, tend to be towards, you know, they're mature in their career and they're getting towards the end of it. Yeah. And a lot of them do kind of have that attitude, but the younger people, not so much. So 50 and under is younger in, in my world. And I think, yeah, for me personally, absolutely not. When you think about demand in the workplace, right? We always worry about politics and how that's going to affect, you know, jobs. And we worry about how technology is disrupting jobs and all this kind of stuff. This stuff never goes away, right? Right. And we drive ourselves crazy thinking about how things might change and how our job's always at risk. And while I know that for a fact that that is true for some people in some places, right? I've never really seen it true for us in our industry, at least in the time that I've been in it. Yeah, um, no, that's good. You know, think about like CAD, for instance. If you were a CAD designer in 1980, right? If you went to floor, you'd have 100 people in a room doing CAD work. Mm-hmm. And then they are, I'm sorry, manual, manual drafting, right? And then computer-aided drafting came out. Did drafting go away? That's still one of the most in-demand jobs that there is. No kidding. Right? And so if I said to myself, well, I don't want anybody knowing what I know because they might threaten my job one day. Man, if I don't have a job, it's my own fault. For sure. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that is driven by insecurities more than anything. Absolutely. And if you're comfortable in your position and you're confident and you understand the value that you bring to an organization, I feel like good leaders and, and, and good bosses and stuff should always be willing to teach people to take their job because hopefully you've got a supervisor or a boss is that's training you to take their job because everyone wants to advance. Right. So I feel like if you inhibit someone from learning, 
then you inhibit yourself from advancing. You, yeah. That's the you way I always... stop your own growth. Yeah. yeah. So, but no, I mean, again, it doesn't seem like that's a challenge for you. So I applaud you for that because I think, you know, at the end of the day, the up and coming generations are the one that's, that are going to take our jobs and we need to leave the world better than what we came to it in. So, Hell yeah, man. Yep. That's exactly... So I'm going to shift gears. You talked a little bit about training. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Over the phone, you've you've kind of mentioned it, but I know you've got so many things going on. So (laughs) touch a little bit about the training aspect and what that is. Yeah, definitely. So I've been doing training stuff for years now, right? Within the organizations that I've worked for, but also at conferences and stuff like that. And it's yeah. one of the things that that I've found, you know, going back to self-discovery here, it's one of the things that I've found that I'm very passionate about. And one of the reasons that I'm building this business around that again, what is my personal place in this world that I've found myself? And this mm-hmm. is part of that. What we're doing at Innovate IPM is we're developing. So we haven't, this is work in progress but I've got about four people who are working with me to develop training programs that are both going to be face-to-face and also online. Some of those people focus on technical aspects. Mm-hmm. Some of them st- focus on methodology aspects of project management. Okay. We're talking about project management specifically. And then some of those people are focusing on business aspects. So entrepreneurship and startup and things like that. There's a lot of room as you know, in this industry, in oil and gas and in all engineering and construction related industries for growth. And there's a lot of room for disruption. Primarily, I've worked on the upstream and midstream sides in, in my past, right? I've cool. Done, I've done work with BHP Billiton and Magellan and Williams, but most of my career I've been on the downstream side. Mm-hmm. And if there was a McKinsey report that came out a few years ago talking about the digital maturity of industries. Yeah. And I think we were right above agriculture at the very bottom of the list, right? So there's so much room. This is just fertile ground, right? For startups and tech companies, which you have a lot of them who come on here, which is awesome. And that's a lot of who I got come on mine as well. Nice. Not the same people, but, you know, people in startups. And so, you know, when I look at places like the Canon, which is where we're sitting right now, or I look at Station Houston, and you look at the people whose signs are on the wall, right? Chevron, Shell. Right. And then, of course, the local universities, Rice, U of H, places like that. Yeah. Like all these people are invested in the bigger industry. And by that, I mean heavy industries and I mean engineering and construction. So it's really a big part of what we're doing is nurturing that. So we have training coming up now. I've got one actually starting as a meetup, but it's going to roll into a training program called Find Your Hustle. Oh, cool. That's focus on startups. That's badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. It's coming up on the 27th of February. I don't know when you'll publish this, but... So it'll be after that, but any links or information that you have, I'll make sure we put in the show notes. That way, by that time, you'll probably have even more tractions. But yeah, for the most part... Like I said, it's February 7th. So all the listeners out there will probably hear this in April. Yeah. No. <laughs> so unfortunately, but again. It sounds like my backlog. It's about the same. Yeah. About a yeah month out. Exactly. So, but dude, that's awesome. I mean, you seem to be constantly giving and, and just trying to create, you know, value for whether it's, you know, organizations or people, or you seem to be doing it out of selflessness, which is awesome. So I applaud you for Thanks. that. You know, is it tough juggling all this stuff? Like, how do you it manage is. all of this? It is tough. So I go to bed early. I'm okay. early. I'm early. How bed. early is early? Last night was about 8.30. Yeah. I was up at 3 a.m. Okay. 3 a.m. By design or because you just automatically woke up? This time I automatically, I was trying to get some rest really, but I kind of automatically woke up. But I do, it's pretty regular that I get up around 3. 4 is probably the most normal. It's very rare I get up after 5. Though. Have you ever heard or read the book, The Power of When? It talks about no. circadian rhythms. No. Okay. No. Very interesting. I'll check it out. Yeah. You know, it's because a lot of the world and especially Western societies, has designed 
we force people to go out of their circadian rhythms and force them to work, you know, from nine to five or mm -hmm. whatever. That's just an average. But what the science is showing is evolutionary speaking, everyone's circadian rhythms and for people out there who don't know what that is, it's basically your biological clock operates differently. And you can categorize that, you know, whether it's like you're an artistic type person or, you know, and how the book categorizes it is by different animals. You know, there's a wolf, there's lions, dolphins, and I think bears. And each person, if you take, you can basically take a test or it's like a process of elimination, you know, a series of questions. And then it kind of points you, you know, you're this category. And so, of course, everyone's almost a blend of everything. Yeah. But it sounds like you're the type that, you know, go to bed early. I would imagine, so you're a morning person. Or do you find that that's the most productive hours? Is there in the morning? Or yeah. is there a peak where you're like, I know if I'm dialed in, I can get the most done from, you know, around this time? I mean, is that? Yeah, the mornings are very productive for me. The other most productive time is probably between 4 and 6 p.m. Okay. All right. And so that's typically what I'll do is I'll get up super early in the morning, knock something out, try to go on a run take a shower, head to my day job, right? Yeah. Go do what I got to do there. Lunchtime, probably still cranking on some, you know, side business during lunchtime. Yeah. And then after that, when I get off and I get off about 3.30, which isn't bad. Like, like I mean, who gets off at 3.30? What time does you normally start at? Seven. Yeah. So That's seven to 3.30, right? But yeah, there's plenty of day left at 3.30. So Take then I, I go back to my studio, right? And then we start either meeting with people to record podcasts or cranking out, you know, ideas on the whiteboard about what this thing's looking like as yeah. we're, we're driving forward or we're putting together a training program or figuring out how to market all this and get exposure for everything. So those are kind of the four things that are always happening at the studio, right? Yeah. And then we've already had some events there. We had a construction and engineering and construction meetup that happened there as well. Not that long ago. I'm about to have another one with a speaker's panel. I haven't set the date yet, but it's probably going to be in April. Cool. But yeah, that's kind of what my Monday through Friday looks like. I always try to spend a little bit of time with my kids of course. before I go to bed. But I do definitely block out a big chunk of Saturday, about six to eight hours on Saturday to either take care of my property, you know, my house, my cars, and all the stuff you just got to do, right? You don't have a choice. And then I'll spend hours with the kids there. And then on Sunday, is like all family day, right? Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I manage all the stuff. And then and I kind of do things in chunks. So I just block out, you know, one to three hour chunks Yeah. to fit it all in. And that works. Back to the phone, right? Yeah. It goes off and I get productive and, you know, it's not perfect. I'm, I'm not For like sure. A, I'm not like a monk here or anything like that. But, <laughs> yeah. but it, 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 it's a lot better than, than yeah, just reacting all the time. Are you a routine, habitual type guy? Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think, you know, habits create successful. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but I feel like a lot of people that have habits, it generates productivity and it generates growth. And so good habits are always helpful. I know they are for me. And so if you can sort of create those habits, whether it's getting up early, you know, blocking out a certain amount of times, it's a scalable self model. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So I know we're getting close to 45 minutes here, but what's something about you that not many people know about? And you obviously have a ton of hobbies or I'm going to say side hustles, things that are generating things of purpose. But is there anything that you do to unplug that you can kind of just leave all that aside, recharge and kind of get re-motivated or re-energized? Yeah, I've got a kind of a handful of go-tos. I really like thrash metal. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So what is time, thrash metal? So, you know, I'm 42. So I started listening to Metallica when I was probably in the third grade. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I've been a Metallica fan ever since. Okay. Uh, Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, and Megadeth are what they call the big four. Okay. Right? Yeah. So if you really want to like de-stress, 
yeah just put your headphones on and crank and just that, crank that shit all the way up and wow yeah let it, let i it feel like that out. would stress me out <laughs> I need like calm, you know, sort of like bionic beats or <laughs> something. That's like- my productivity move. That's my productivity stuff. The, the okay. binaural beats and yeah. lo-fi hip hop and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I got different music for different moments. And hey, time. That, yeah. there's some truth to that, yeah. and, and science proves that different beats, different <laughs> wavelengths can can set your mind in different moods. So yeah, if you've got the headphones on, and you probably can hear it from across the room if you're listening to that stuff, because I know you know whether you're in an airport or certain areas, you can tell when people are listening to that. It's just like, good God, but. Hey, whatever works for you, that's what matters. You might see me playing some air drums and stuff while I'm at it. Yeah, so, yeah. good for you, man. Hey, <laughs> it, whatever works, right? So one last question I have, is there a message that you'd like to relay assuming everyone, and I normally say in energy, but you're tied to a lot of different things, that assuming everyone in the world was listening to you right now, what would be the biggest message you'd like to relay to everybody? I would say the clearest message I'd like to convey is that people, and this is where my passion really lies, is in the people and in the cultures that surround the workplace. Livelihood is such an important thing. It takes up most of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important to get it right. We're not ever going to get it perfect. Right. And so finding the livelihood that's right for you is, I'm going to go back to self-discovery. It's a process of, of self-discovery. Sometimes what you think you want, you don't. Sometimes what you think you don't want turns out to be really good for you. So be cognizant of who you are as a person as you approach your livelihood. I think that's probably the key thing that I would convey. No, that's great. So you mentioned being a, you know cognizant of, of who you are and self-discovery, but... Mm-hmm. But how do you get to that point? It's interesting, right? Because most of us, we think about our strengths, right? And if we have weaknesses, we want to work on the weaknesses. And in my experience, I try to avoid my weaknesses. I chalk them up as limitations. And I say, I'm not going to worry about being a freaking access database master, right? Mm -hmm. Because me going through that grind is like nails on a chalkboard. It's like physically impossible for me to do this. Sure. It's much more valuable for me and everybody around me when I focus on the macro stuff and conveying information to people, right? Communicating with people. So for me, that's my world. Your yeah. world might be the exact backwards of that. But what I've done over time is I've said, okay, here's my natural talents. I can identify these because they're what I naturally gravitate towards, mm-hmm. right? My kid. He plays music. We got a lot of musical instruments laying around the house, guitars and electric piano and stuff like that. Nice. He can't walk by anything without picking it up and playing. He's been like that his whole life. He's 18 years old now. Oh, wow. And he plays very well now. And so to him, that's a talent of his. It's obvious, right? So look for those obvious talents. Look for the thing you gravitate towards. Hmm. And when you discover that something is creating a negative emotion in you, and I don't mean just a regular negative emotion. We all go through negative and, and feelings, you know, feelings are just feelings. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about something that really disrupts you, right? Something that causes depression or anxiety or something like that. Don't keep trying to do that. Right. Just stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's a toxic thing in your life. For sure. So now you know your talents. Now you've used this and you've identified some of your limitations. That's like your fingerprint in the world right there. Yeah. And if you figure out how to use those, we're going to change the word from limitations to constraints, right? Mm -hmm. Because invention is the mother of necessity. And so if we have to fit in this box that we were sort of born with mentally, then we have to get creative to fit in that box and make all the other stuff work. Yeah. So it's no longer a limitation. It's just a constraint you have to deal with. 
So when you know your talents, you know your constraints, that's your signature and that's your special place in the world. That's what some people will call your unique genius. Yeah. Take that and run with it. Don't try to fit into a job description, right? Maybe you have to, and that's okay for a little while, but when you get experience and you're ready to spread your wings and fly a little bit, don't worry about that job description anymore. Make your own job. Yeah. I've made my own job three or four times within companies. I've said, hey, I think we should do this. And I want to be the one who drives it. And yeah. they say, okay, all of a sudden I've got a new, a new occupation. Right. Yeah. So don't let, you know, self-discovery and not limiting yourself to the status quo. That's what I would suggest. I love it. Double down on your strengths. Yeah, man. Go for it. Appreciate that answer. Well, before we log off here, I'd like to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the hack and whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial city mall ice rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape over the summer, Visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Robin, thanks again for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. A lot of great, valuable information for all the listeners out there. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or get to know more about your company and just to, you know, find out more of all the cool stuff you got going on? Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Robin Williams. Are you a Robin Williams fan? I'm a huge Robin Williams fan. RIP, right? Yeah, yeah. Huh. So the day he died, it was kind of weird for me. I bet. Yeah. You're reading all the headlines. Well, like, I didn't it's even not know. Me. I didn't know. And my buddies all started texting me like, hey, dude, you're dead. <laughs> and I'm like, what are they? Yeah. What are we talking about here? Yeah. And I turned the news on and I was like, holy crap. This is, and keep in mind, like Robin Williams became famous when I was four months old. So no it's been my entire life. Yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. So kind of weird. But anyway, you can find me on LinkedIn, <laughs> Robin Williams. Yeah. And you can go to the website. It's innovateipm.com. Perfect. And you can reach me there too. So Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks again for your time today. Thanks, man. It's been good. Awesome. And everyone out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Later. <laughs> thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.